But we're going to start here with Persona 4 because, well, not least of which because its 10-year uh, anniversary is coming up. Uh, it was released in Japan in July of 08, uh, over here in December. And you guys got it uh, early 20, uh, 2009. That doesn't make sense. You guys got it early 2009. <laughs> 2009. 2009. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think that to clarify ahead of time, though, just so credentials are clear, um, we will also be talking about the re-release that happened in 2012. Correct. I believe it was 2012 uh, for the PS yep. Vita. Uh, Persona 4 Golden. And Golden is the version that I have played firsthand. I've not played the original that came out on the PS2, unfortunately. So What a, what a, a weak sauce noob you are. I'm sorry. You've, I, you've I, only played the 100-hour video game once. Get out of here. <laughs> I played the easier version of it. <laughs> that is, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> I've played both. Uh, I didn't get around to them when they first came out. I played... Uh, the PS2 Persona 4 in, I think, 2015 and played Golden for the first time last month, which, depending on when you're listening to this, was February 2018. <laughs> so I have some very recent history with these games. Yeah, Doc is the only person who has bought a PS Vita all year in the entire <laughs> That's world. That's true, yes. Everyone is rushing to buy Nintendo Switches. Me, contrarian that I am. I will zag when they zig. I will buy the PS Vita refurbished. Uh, you're welcome, Sony. Someone's got to, you know, keep them afloat, even just a little bit. This is not primarily going to be a podcast about the people that make the games and, and that sort of thing, but uh, I figure just just to be clear and have some cursory information out there, uh, we'll just give credit here to the director of the game, uh, Katsura Hashino, who directed... Persona 3 and Persona 5, and I think Persona 5 uh, was his last one. At least he said as much, that he's not doing any more Persona games. Series composer, the well-loved and well-known Shoji Maguro, at least well-loved by me. Chief writers, uh, according to Wikipedia here, giving credit, are Yuichiro Tanaka and Akira Kawasaki. And, of course, uh, Atlas is resident like artist that does all the Mega Ten games. I should say that uh, Persona Four is part of a bigger franchise, the Shin Megami Tensei or Mega Ten for short. Mm-hmm. Uh, Persona is kind of a a spinoff, uh, a section of the Mega Ten universe, which I think was based on some Japanese novels originally. Uh, but there are better like YouTube videos and research sites that you could go to to get that exact information. Um, mm-hmm. The art, the artist's name, by the way, which I didn't give, is um, Shigenori Sujima. It has to be said, like you know, about the Persona series in general for free onwards, is that you seem to have like individuals in charge of art and music and such. You have such a very unique style, like you have a dream team almost, mm-hmm. kind of with these people. I mean, when everyone thinks of like Final Fantasy music, the name that comes immediately to mind is Nobu Uematsu, and I, I'm so sorry, I probably. <laughs> I probably You're good. It's fine. It's fine. It's like I mean that would be like I probably done such a bad job of it, like you know calling someone James and instead calling them lames or something like that. It's, you know it's wrong. It's wrong and insulting in equal measure. Um, We're just a couple of gaijin that are trying to appreciate these games as best we can. It's all good. That is true. But this the series itself. I mean, if you're familiar with it, 
you immediately know what it looks like, what it sounds like. It has that unique sense about it that you rarely see in a lot of other things. I mean, there are certainly other games out there that do have their unique flavors to them. Um, Metal Gear Solid for the series for that longest time. Um, I think it was Yoji Shinkawa did a lot of the mechanical design on that, and he in turn also did mechanical design on Zoro the Enders. So you immediately know when you look at a Metal Gear Solid game that that's you know got his stamp on it, much as it does with the Persona series, but the modern ones in particular. You can immediately tell uh, that it's got an artist's hand at them here, like a, a unique style, unique signature to it. Absolutely, and so uh, Sojima, he's the the main character designer. And the other credited artist is Susumu Nishizawa. And I'm not sure if if Nishizawa is the one. I mean, I'm sure there's like a team of incredibly talented artists that did a lot of aspects of these games. But whoever has done like the UI design for the modern Persona games is a, a fucking master. <laughs> there's a team of masters because the menus and uh, everything about the UI in three, four and five just is excellent and just gets progressively better as you go. I remember I did play these games in chronological order, despite coming to them late and thinking, wow, persona three, like the best menus ever. And each persona game I play, I just think the UI, they just keep topping themselves. Yeah. The UI is really easy to follow, despite the fact that it is visually bright and distinct. And that's really impressive. Because you have so many different... I mean, we had Metal Gear Survive come out recently, which oh, I've not played. Please, don't mention but I, But I have watched videos of it, and the UI for that is... While it does indeed have its own unique style about it, you know, you can tell it's similar to Ground Zeroes and The Phantom Pain, because it is, of course. It's <laughs> such a convoluted, labyrinthian nightmare to just try and get your character to have a drink of water that it's honestly astounding. So... God bless, you know, the guys at Atlas for making a UI that is functional, easy to navigate, and still oozes its own charm. 100%. So let's go ahead now and get into the real discussion, the meat. Uh, and sit back, folks, prop your feet up, and prepare for a lengthy and in-depth story discussion of Shin Megami Tensei Persona 4. Just as a heads up, folks, um, it's worth noting that we're going to assume for a lot of this that you're probably familiar with what happens in the actual video game itself and the story, because listing every single detail of what happens in the story from start to finish chronologically and then addressing them as we go along would... This podcast would be three days long. <laughs> it's going to be long already. So we unfortunately don't want to make concessions here, or can't rather... Uh, for people who've not played it, mainly because you should probably play it anyway. I mean, it's difficult, obviously, since annoyingly, and in the age of HD remasters, mm. Atlas has not deigned to, you know, make a Persona 3 and Persona 4 Golden HD re-release for the PS4, because I presume they're afraid of money. Like, <laughs> do they have an allergy to, yeah. like, you know, dollar notes flying at them in rapid succession? 
I don't get it. But if you actually do get the chance to get yourself like a cheap refurbished Visa that still works and can play uh, Golden, or if you can get ha- your hand on hands on what I think is now the discontinued PlayStation TV and do it that way. However you can get a hold of it, I would very heartily recommend it without hesitation. What we will be discussing, huge, massive, holy ball spoilers, straight ahead from here on out. There is no easing in on this. We're going straight in the deep end. You're not going to have your armbands on. So that's how it's going to go, folks. Okay, so let us begin. Let's begin this deep dive into Persona 4. Yes, and uh, again, if you are sensitive to spoilers... Bye bye. <laughs> uh, Thanks for be, listening. Yeah, and and there's not like you said. Uh, it's important to note there's not going to be a plot summary. Uh, the first thing that jumped out at me when playing any of the Persona games, really, um, the modern ones, I should say, three, four, five. This is true for, uh, but I think they really, really hit their stride in in Persona Four. Uh, was how the the systems, right? The uh, the other. Um, the mechanics of the games really tie into the story and push you to seek out the story. Um, I think this was, especially at the time, pretty novel for JRPGs, right? Because you had uh, these amazing things that were introduced in Persona 3 called social links. Mm -hmm. And they were uh, just a a sort of ranking of the relationships that your main character had with the side characters. And as you progressed through those, your ability to fuse higher level personas increased. If your mm-hmm. uh if your rank, your social link rank with the person with the who uh and each of the characters, of course, is assigned a specific tarot card in these games. And so uh the character with the magician tarot, say, uh if your social link rank, your relationship with them was at rank four, uh, you got a sort of level four boost, as it were. You got a certain number of experience boost when you fused personas of the Magician Arcana. That just translates into basically having better personas, better summons with more abilities, uh, more, better stats in battle. And so by for, for people who are only, I guess, interested or chiefly interested in the dungeon-crawling aspects of these games, of mechanics-heavy, stat-tweaking stuff. Like, that gave people like that, like, a real incentive to pursue the side stories. Because the social links, I think of as the B-plots. The A-plot is, to this game, the murder mystery in the small Japanese town of Inaba. And the the social links are the B-plots, and you are encouraged to pursue them. It's almost, I almost don't want to call them B-plots because uh, especially for the characters that you uh, have in your party, the investigation team, if you don't pursue the social links and you don't rank up and you, and you don't have the ability to fuse better personas, you're really handicapping yourself in terms of combat. So the, the yes. story and the combat have this really cool symbiotic relationship going on that i think is is really unique and atlas really kind of struck gold with the way that these two play off each other yeah there's something to note about the way the leveling works as well in that there is a fairly standard experience system that um, doc alluded to which you get bonuses for your personas from social links when you fuse them you do earn experience from doing battles normally 
Uh, but the experience you earn from these battles is nothing compared to what you get from the bonuses from the social links. If you think you can spend hours grinding in dungeons um, to level up that way and just be, you know, a complete introvert and never, ever speak to one of the characters ever, uh, you will fail. You will fail hard. It doesn't work like that, I'm afraid, very much afraid to say. So you are very much incentivized to seek out social links, even if you just simply as a means of getting more powerful personas to perform, you know, better in battle with more abilities. Simple as that. Yes, and, you know, if you complete the quest line, uh, the social link, right, for each character, you get special items and are able to fuse unique personas that you would not otherwise be able to fuse without completing that social link. So, uh, again, if you want to if you want to min-max and, and top out uh, your your party and really get them equipped for the final encounters, which can can be testing if you are under-leveled or, or have pretty stand, bog-standard personas, uh, th- those could be pretty rough. I mean, the stories, I think, are interesting enough on, on their own, such that even if they weren't tied to uh, the combat and the persona leveling, I would pursue them because I just love the ensemble cast of characters in this game. However, I just, I can't think of another JRPG series offhand in which the character relationships are, are tied to the, to the combat and the, um, the levels of your, of your summons or your personas in such a really like that, that connection is so tight. And I know other game, other games have, have kind of, since then have imitated it like uh mass effect 2 mass effect 2 <laughs> really so i've never played mass effect 2 tell yeah. me about this so in mass effect 2 um you could be argued depending on how you on your viewer persona for and the persona modern persona games in general that the characters are the reason you play and you don't really care all that much about the overarching story which is not to say the overarching story in any of the the modern ones is bad i personally think it's fine but i would absolutely agree if you think to yourself I'm here for the people. I'm not here for what, you know, is going on in the background. Um, in Mass Effect 2, that's pretty much the same. The plot of Mass Effect 2 is absolute nonsense if you think about it for five <laughs> minutes. It doesn't make a fucking lick of sense. But you're not there for that. The majority of the game is you meeting various people as you assemble a team to pull off this suicide mission. And you do side missions with them that earn your loyalty with them. And when you earn the loyalty of these characters, it affects the outcome of the final mission. Now, it's very binary, this. They're either loyal or they're not. That's it. Um, But it is broadly in principle the same. And the takeaway that a lot of people had from Mass Effect 2, including me, was I really liked all the character stuff, but they didn't give two shits about the story. Mm. So it's similar to that if you have played Mass Effect 2 but haven't played any of the modern Persona games. Although, in my opinion, the modern Persona games are vastly superior to Mass Effect 2 in every way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with every way with everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm going oh. with that. I'm making a broad statement there. Come at me, Mass Effect fans, if there are any of you left. If Vinny from Giant Bomb is listening, he'll be so bad. Oh, he he also loves Persona Four. Mass Effect Two is his baby. He, um, he could be he could be as mad as he wants. <laughs> a more I think direct aping of this can be seen in Legend of Heroes: Trails of Cold Steel, where you have after school time and free time in which you can, you know, you choose a character to hang out with. 
and then you hang out with them and you level up uh the relationships for bonuses so yes yeah absolutely pretty pretty standard sort of ripoff sounds so mean but uh they are clearly at falcom inspired by the social links that atlas created for persona a couple of things that we need to know about how social links work social links are as doc mentioned ranks they are ranks from one to ten and generally speaking you are free to uh, pursue social links in whatever order you wish there are some that are story mandated that you will max automatically regardless of you doing anything. They'll just happen. Uh, but most of them are through your own choice. You choose how to spend your time in Persona 4. And then some of them are gated by personal uh, stats. That is a system I wasn't necessarily looking to bring up, but um, it seems to only be there to gate off certain social link levels. Well... There is that, but there is also a little bit more to it, in my opinion. Okay. So. You want your character to be suave. <laughs> you don't want we... the game to say that. <laughs> hey, I want to be suave. Maybe I should start working on my personal stats, you know, fill out that little pens- uh, pentagon that they've got just, going uh, there. Just go work at a flower shop and read every night. Yes, that that is the key, folks. Practice in front of a mirror. That will solve it for you. That'll, like, you know, allow you to talk to women. Drink a lot of coffee. That's what Persona taught me. If you drink a lot of coffee, you can be charming. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, something to know about the way that social links work, therefore, is that, generally speaking, I think the system is really good, as Doc mentioned, at serving the story. Because one of the ideas of the Persona series in general is that building relationships and networking makes you a stronger person. It's good to be sociable. It's good to, you know, look after and rely on each other and help each other out if you're in a bind, be it small or be it large. However, the social link system is not without its caveats, in my opinion. And one of them is the fact that because you are free to pursue social links in whatever order you so wish, the events that happen in them can feel weird in different contexts as the main story progresses. Um, Persona 4 has this false unfortunately because you can in theory for example leave say let's say yosuke's social link let's say you just ignore it for the entire game because you don't like him you think he's a twat you can't stand him and then you decide in december of the game because it takes place over a course of a year and december's when well the town is covered in the yellow fog and you're having a grand old time you know eating takiyaka or whatever it is at the stand but this is following a number of events, not least of which is, you know, Nanako's hospitalization and death. Um, Dojima, you know, himself being hospitalized. The, the hunt for the murder is on, like, and it's getting really tense and dreadful. But let's just go and shoot the shit at, you know, the local stand while this choking death mist is everywhere. So, let's talk about the murder. Yeah. Let's, mm, this let's, is delicious. Uh, and then you can't, of course, can't breathe as you try to see, like, <laughs> it's really bad. Um, so that's a problem in that, depending on when you do certain social links, it can come across as really odd. Not massively so. It doesn't completely break them, in my opinion, but there are times when you just think, eh, this is a bit weird. Particularly if you hit the point when December is in full swing. Yes. And the, and the yellow mist is everywhere. Then you're, you know, you think to yourself, have we got more urgent shit to be doing? At least, uh, at least it acknowledges it. Um, mm. I mean, I know it makes it weirder, but like, wouldn't it also be 
perhaps even weirder if like it went to a cutscene and the air was like clean again. <laughs> yeah, that you were supposed oh. to do it earlier. <laughs> that would be a terrible. That would be quite the amateur mistake. This is a problem that most, if not all, non-linear games kind of run into. Yes. You'll be uh, a character in a big open world game like The Witcher or Skyrim or Fallout, and the intro will sort of underscore the urgency of the main quest. Fallout 4. And then you're sort of free to like just dick around and do whatever, and it just seems uh, odd. It never sat well with me. One of the reasons I don't care uh, too much for open world games is uh, yeah. just that that feeling in particular always struck me as uh, just something untrue about it that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. Uh, there are other mild criticisms you can make of the social link system. Some of them are bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the writing, that's more of a criticism of the writing in some of them than the outright uh, the system itself being being flawed. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say that the... The writing on a lot of the links that are not pertinent to that that don't involve the investigation team, you know, your party, uh, I I really didn't give too much of a shit. There's a reason for that, and I'll go into that now. The problem with having social links be a non-linear, you do them as you please thing is that generally speaking, the characters inside of them, with the exception of the investigation team, and and this is important, Nanako and Dojima. Yes, yes, they are an exception to what I just said. Yeah, and I suppose Marie as well, if you're playing the golden version. Right. And Adachi, but anyway. Um, for the most part, characters who are not, as you said, in the team or those particular individuals, the exceptions, their stories don't weave in with the main plot. And it makes it feel almost like it's compartmentalized, like it's happening in a different place in a different time where mm. it doesn't matter. And even with the mainline investigation team, social links if you with certain exceptions uh, particularly if you romance one of the ladies gem, the, the dialogue never changes to reflect like the status of the relationship and i'm talking like in the mainline story like if you max out yosuke's social link like right away it doesn't change how he talks to you for the rest of the game it wouldn't if he was rank one or rank 10 um mm. the mainline mm-hmm. dialogue that he has is exactly the same now there's no real way around this because let me just offer you all a quick thought exercise, which is the key problem with non-linear games and why you don't often see them and why when you do, they don't often fulfill their promise. I mean, Mass Effect again is a great example of this. So let me just roll this by you. Let us say that you make an RPG. You can do this in a text editor or, you know, something like Vine. And it opens with your character walking down a path in the woods. And you then come to a fork in the woods, left or right. Now, let's say you then decide to write for both paths, and then they hit another fork again at the end of these two paths. Repeat ad nauseum. All you're doing, essentially, is just adding more forks into the road, but you have to write each individual scene of them coming to this next fork, and it increases exponentially. You start with two, then you end with four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. It keeps on going like that in this particular instance. And that's just one relatively simple example here, but already you can see how it's kind of getting out of control as far as writing goes. This is also why 
and I don't agree with it being, I would not want this to be the, you know, the truth, but it is. This is why you don't tend to see often in RPGs necessarily a lot of, you know, choosing your gender. You don't see in Persona 4 because people have to react differently to you based on your gender. I mean, there's, that's the truth of it. Either that or it doesn't matter. It's a non-thing. And then factoring then the cost of all of this. If you had a female male choice as far as gender goes for your character, you'd have to hire two voice actors immediately for the entirety of the game, which can be expensive. But on top of that, then consider also that players won't necessarily replay with the other room. They may, for example, play, again, Mass Effects and only play Shepard as a male and never play Shepard as a female. And therefore, that player, you know, the money you've invested in the game for that experience is wasted because they don't bother looking at it. It's pointless. Who cares? They don't They don't give a shit about that. Now, that's not a universal thing for for everyone. Yeah, and theoretically with Mass Effect, the, the size of the audience is so large that it's worth spending the resources to pull in people who do want to play as the other gender. Oh, for sure. But at the same time, though, um, it's a it costs more than simply writing a linear narrative of a single character. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is that to consider. There are a, like a small handful of JRPG, like really one that comes to mind is Star Ocean 2. But of course, it's it's like a, it's a PlayStation 1 generation game. And there's there's not a ton of unique writing, you know, based on the route you take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in Tales of Exilia that you can choose to be Jude, the 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 boy, or uh, Milia, the lady. Uh, and I've like like as you have just pointed out, I have only played through the game as Jude. I don't know, you know. I, I think the origins, the 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 early scenes of the game were different, but I don't know beyond that. Like what what changes? What is different? Like what extra writing did they do? You know, if I played as the lady versus uh, the man. This is why uh, the Mass Effect series ended up being disappointing, but it was going to be disappointing from the beginning because it couldn't ultimately fulfill that, you know, complicated web of different decisions. Like, the decision tree behind these games is immense. And Persona 4 kind of gets around this by sort of not having the social links necessarily matter to the end game so much as just directly tying them to your combat progress. You don't, for example, need a minimum amount to meet the, the ending requirements. The ending requirements are based on different things. There is one that does require a, a social link rank 10, and there's another one that requires a rank 10, but you don't otherwise need a broad minimum of, of rank 10 social links. And this is why, again, as I say, the social links can feel very compartmentalized. Now, I'm not going to tell you who my favorite social link is yet, but I'm going to tell you why I think mm-hmm. is the best written social link, or the most engaging social link in the game, or rather the two most engaged social links, and that's Nanako and Dojima. And there's a reason for this, because although the social link system kicks in around, I think it's May or June for both of them, I, I'm mainly going from memory here because that's been a while since I've fully played yeah, it through. It's, that sounds fair. That sounds about right. It's early. Yeah. But you are introduced to these two characters immediately, and you're always in, seeing scenes of them at home that it actually tie back into their links. You know, of Nanako being left to fend for herself by Dojima, and she's having to grow up early, uh, but she just wants to, you know, live with her dad and just try and also get over the grief of her mother's death, which they still haven't, neither of them really addressed. Uh, Dojima similarly is, you know, afraid of getting too close to his daughter because he's afraid of, you know, dealing with the loss head on of his wife. And you learn all of this or a lot of this detail 
outside the link itself. And then what you've learned comes into play with your understanding of the link as links as they go on. So I would argue their social links actually begin much earlier, although the system says otherwise. And that's why it feels so much more fleshed out. They're the, I would argue, the most engaging ones in the game. And while this is admittedly not Persona 4, in Persona 5, I feel very similarly about uh, Sojiro and Futaba because their social links kind of start before they start. You get a lot more background info on them that feeds into your understanding. So it's a system that I think serves its purpose very well as far as reminding you of the game's core theme, which is that personal growth and personal development is important. Uh, the lesson essentially is that you become, by being a better person, you become more powerful, but stronger. And often in RPGs, like strength is simply a, a function of either knowledge or physical strength or training. Fucking being rich, rich enough yeah. to buy the best weapons. <laughs> yeah, having fat loot, as we call it, back in the old MMO days. But in the Persona series, the idea is that by being a good person who looks after a people and, you know, engages with them and doesn't crawl into your, into your own shell... Uh, that is what gives you strength. Literally, that's what it does. Hmm. Even if you sit, approach it purely mechanically and just want to min-max and just blitz through the game and be like, you know, the best RPG player imaginable, that is mandatory for you to do that. That's the unavoidable coded lesson in the series' DNA. Even personal development. Personal development, um, like your your stats, like your knowledge, doing your homework, uh, learning how to cook, for example... Um, drinking coffee of all things but you you know working on these attributes of your personality even when they're directed towards solely yourself they allow you to then develop social links further and build on that strength so it's not just about necessarily being a shoulder for people to lean on but also honing yourself and sharpening yourself essentially the lesson is it is a good thing for you to be a better person in whatever way you can be better or uh, just connect with people right yes that like... too I think yeah, self improvement is a really big a really big deal. There there are some other aspects we'll talk about in a second uh, that are related to that. But um, the game does a really good job of of encouraging connection, encouraging friendships, showing you how that enriches the tapestry of your life. Right, like it adds it it adds flourish and joy and uh, and sadness as well. But it's uh, it's contextualized and and you're seen or sorry you're shown that that these things are worth it that the additive quality they bring to your life far outweighs any any downsides and it's worth it to to reach out to other people i will say i wanted to uh, let you finish before i uh, address something you said earlier about the compartmentalization of the links mhm i do think that is spot on uh I do think that in a way, though, that it works to serve what the game is trying to do insofar as it is a life sim. Since Persona 3, I feel like what they've been trying to get at is, yes, you're like a hero, right, who is changing people's lives and saving them from the shadows who would, um, you know, either consume them or, or make them into, like, these totally base beings, but you're also just a regular teenager. And that's why you can do things like get a part-time job. You can spend time reading. You can go have lunch with your friends. It's you're, that's a level of immersion uh, that, that the game brings 
And so I think that there it, that it makes sense that there are some relationships that you can that you can build some people that can be part of your life that don't feed into your main group of friends or don't feed into the main story because you know not all parts of your life are going to uh connect. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the, you know, you being on the soccer team uh or the older nurse you meet at your part-time job don't necessarily connect to the overall narrative and you and I said I didn't give a shit that was harsh like they they might not mean as much as your relationship with Chie or Naoto in and of themselves they might not add up to that but like as a kind of collective and as something that again serves persona as teenage life sim mm-hmm. like you get to be you know urban japanese kid uh i th- i think that they make sense and they work uh, and so I, I don't hold it too strongly against the game that that some of the links feel quite separate. I think also that one of the criticisms I might want to level it, another, like these are all mine, and uh, I must stress, and nothing that truly breaks it for me is that because the links are rank 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and so on until 10, it feels very simplistic as far as delivering this character's growth. Like it's literally a 10-step process. You could, you could cut. You could. The magic of uh, Yu Narukami is in ten days he can solve all your problems. Yeah, it's like the um, it's like the narrative equivalent of seven minute abs. It's yeah, <laughs> you, it, it it doesn't feel like it's all that organic relative to you know just delivering it in the actual plot itself. This again is also why I said I like Nanako and Dojima's uh, social links quite a lot because they have other things going on outside of them. They don't just exist this one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, step kind of thing. It feels almost like you're going around a board game and you're learning a tidbit each time. And that's fine. Mm. It's just not completely seamless or completely organic, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's hard to think of a way to to solve that within the link system itself. You know what I mean? To improve it, to add nuance to it that would help it, you know? That's, that's, it's tough. When it is, you know, tied to the mechanics in the way that it is. Yeah, this is why I mentioned that thought experiment before. Because any way that you could, in theory, try and weave things in together, like, oh, you know, you could have, say, special events where you level up two social links at once by inviting two people out. That, again, adds cost, time, development. It's content that may be missed by players, so it's not being, you know, efficiently made. It seems to me like... On top of it just serving its function really well, it's also the best solution you could have to this kind of thing in the context of the games and what they're trying to accomplish. I think it works fine. I've heard people criticize social links really heavily for weak reasoning, to be quite honest. And I don't think the system is without flaws, but I think that it serves its function well. But you can kind of see the artifice of it, and that's a small but noticeable problem. I do want to very quickly address something you said, though, about compartmentalization, which... Again, made me a bit sad this wasn't a thing that was done in P4, but, well, as you all probably are aware, you can romance the ladies. Uh, not the boys, because as far as Persona 4 is concerned, with maybe one half exception, um, being gay is not a thing that happens to people. Um, I mean, that's the thing we'll discuss later, because we do. I do want to go into quite exhaustive detail. There's two things I want to mention about romance um, in both this game and also in games in general. Why do you have romance in video games? 
Now, in Persona 4, if you romance someone, there is no gameplay benefit to it whatsoever. You don't, for example... Yeah. yeah. Now, that's... No, 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 that's fine. That is actually a good thing, and I'll, I'll tell you why it's a good thing. I think that you could firstly make the argument the reason you can romance the ladies in Persona is because the game is developed for men, uh, hetero men specifically. Or Persona men. for men! Should do a marketing you made, campaign. You made it sound like a shaving cream then. <laughs> with that, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'll reach out. To, you know, I'll reach out to the truth and my big razor while I'm at it. <laughs> um, guys, are you th- having performance problems? Persona for <laughs> men. <laughs> that would definitely be, you know, bottled as the Tower Arcana, let's put it that way. <laughs> Which I also think is the um, Arcana of Mara, the penis demon. Yes, there's a penis demon in this game, because of course there is. Um, but anyway, moving away from penis demons, the reason I brought up the romance thing is because, on the one hand, you do, as I say, you can make the argument, I think it's a fair one, that it's simply there because it appeals to guys. Enough said. It doesn't really need to be fleshed out any more than that. An alternative hypothesis that I'm fond of, although I won't pretend that it's bulletproof or is necessarily true as the authors of the story intended it, is that I think personally it's a very normal thing for people to want to seek romance and affection in their lives, whatever your orientation. Now, not everyone is into this. There are people who are ace, and that's fine. You're not obliged or obligated to be with someone. But I think for a lot of people, people do want to find love and want to find affection. And that is a normal thing. And I suppose in some way, having a romance element in a story where everything really is going downhill and there's a lot of drama going on, there's a lot of, you know, cryptic, psycho-nonsense bullshit going on, alternate worlds and all that, that just to have someone with you who you can be close to and just be normal with is is important. It normalizes your character, makes them feel like a regular person, which sometimes is a good thing when you know you're constantly being, you know, assaulted by weird, like you know, Hulk Hogan wrestling demons from an alternate mental dimension. <laughs> but that's why I think that romance exists in video games serving the race first. It just makes your characters feel normal. Mass Effect's again, like you know, you you're like burdened with saving the fucking galaxy, but it's nice just to you know have a platonic sit down with some with someone you're romantically involved with and just shoot the shit for five minutes. Be regular people. That I think is important. And funnily enough, though, when you ro- do romance in this game, if you romance one of the investigation team ladies, you do get additional scenes. If you romance one of the ladies who's not one of them, uh, you don't get Jack Diddley shit beyond the uh, <laughs> beyond certain events like Christmas, for example. Right. Um, for example, I did a playthrough once where I romanced the sun lady, the the, the really tiny one, the 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 angry one. Oh no no no! Uh, the music girl. Yeah, the music girl, yeah. Okay. And she, of course, like, in the Golden, uh, you go on a beach event, and there's, you know, stuff with your romantic partner, or there's the festival and such. I don't recall this character showing up. Um, Oh, no. No. Nor do I recall something else that I really think should have happened um, if you were, you know, dating someone who's not part of the investigation team, which is telling them. That's what's going on. Telling them the whole kebang. 
I live a double life. Uh, yeah, but like th- that would be I go inside a TV. I mean, just imagine that though. Like you know, you're dating one of the girls who's not one of the investigation team, and you get this scene in which you know you're going into Maggot Inaba at the end game. You know, the apocalyptic. This is shit getting real moment, and they're just there with you outside Junez, and they say like, "I'll be waiting for you here when you get back." Here, have a chewing soul. You've ruined it. God damn it! <laughs> but yeah, that that would have been nice. I reckon. Basically, you're gonna you've got a choice. If you want the full romantic experience in this game, romance one of the investigation team ladies, or if you're playing Golden, romance for me. Marie, that is sorry, I missed, I mangled her name. I am glad, like you mentioned, actually that there's not additional gameplay rewards for for romance. That might lead to some scummy behavior. It, oh god there are certain rewards for certain romances in golden that um i find incredibly icky uh that we can we can talk about uh yeah. later later in the show <laughs> yeah there's 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 some off stuff about it the, at least there isn't like you know a gameplay benefits because that would just be that would be weird it would incentivize you being a cheating scumbag it would i don't know how you could really describe this but it would be false pretenses I know that makes no sense for a relationship that happens in a video mm-hmm. game. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But generally speaking, you, know, you pick it because you like it. So that's, yes, that's exactly. the way I see it. But I do think that romance serves a good purpose in a lot of fiction in general. Even if it's not explicitly, you know, the focus of it, it's not a romantic story. Granted, there is, you know, the guy gets the girl at the end kind of thing that's a bit tired and worn out. But if they if you use it as a means of, you know, making characters feel more normal and more grounded and that, you know, they can just want to live normal lives apart from whatever bullshit they're going through that's, you know, unique to them, then I think it is a worthwhile inclusion. I think that, you know, P4 does that. Like, you have scenes with some characters like the beach scene and all that or the stuff at the festival where you just get five minutes just to, you know, relax in each other's company and not have to worry about the shit that's happening with the murders you could be normal people, normal teenagers. <laughs>